Good morning. Great to be here. My name is Sandy Hart and I'm part of the team here. Awesome team. Love belonging to this team. We exist because we love Jesus and we want others to love Jesus. Simple as that. Isn't that great? That's really good. Well, you know, I was asked to speak on giving money. And I've never in all my life spoken on money. So I didn't say yes straight away when I was asked because I thought, not another sermon on money. I don't like talking about money. Now, that's got a history. I remember when I came home from Europe nearly 16 years ago now, and uh, I came home, nowhere to live, no job, nothing, and some of my friends were talking about how short they were and didn't, they were always talking about money and never having enough. And I thought, oh, I've got to help these people. So I started praying and I, I called the people together who were in our fellowship and I said, how can I help these people? And they said, Sandy, they earn more in a day than you get in a month. For some people, that's never enough. That was quite a shock to me because I came, I live, and have lived where we don't really talk much about money. You either have it or you don't. Enough is always enough. So I did a little bit of research and I said to people, if you were going to speak on money and tithing and giving, what would you say? And uh, some said, not another sermon on money. I hate sermons on money. Some said, makes me feel a bit guilty. Others said, I tithe, but not to the local church. I tithe some here and I give some away. But I liked this one. One of my friends said this, and if she was preaching today, you'd be out of here in 30 seconds. <laughs> this is what she said. What a waste of time and space. Just get on and do it. Obey God and stop messing around. For those who know my friend, you probably know who said that. Wouldn't you like that sermon? 30 seconds, you'd be out of here. But today, it's all about Psalm 100. Sorry, sorry, Psalm 24. You should know it by now. Can you recite it back? The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Now, this is what I believe. If you can get that, if you can live that, if you can believe it, day after day, actually let it penetrate into the very depths of your being, you will never have any trouble about finance, giving, possessions, your anxieties will start to go, your fears will be addressed and named and you think, what on earth am I afraid of? Because you will be invited to trust and live wholeheartedly 100% God. That's what I believe. And uh, it was when Steve started this series four weeks ago, he talked about 100%. And I sat there and I was convicted. I thought, do I live 100%? What does 100% living for Jesus look like? And that is what has haunted me for four weeks. What would uh, my life look like? if I lived 
100%. So I'm going to talk about basically three things today. There'll be part of my story. There'll be my reflections on grace and law. Because this is one of the reasons people told me they didn't tithe. They said we live under grace and not under law. And so that also sent me into quite a time of study, reflection, prayer, asking, wondering what on earth it meant. And really, it all comes down to control. That's what I discovered. It's all about control. And I actually believe, you can prove me wrong if you like, but this is what I believe at this stage, we all have control issues. Some of us do it through sulking. Some of us do it through silent passivity. Some of us do it aggressively. Some of us do it deceptively. Some of us do it out in the open. But control is one of our biggest issues of not being able to live 100% for Jesus. And it was this issue when I was confronted with the fact that I was probably a control freak. I didn't know I was. Someone once told me I was, and I thought, no, I'm not. But slowly, God started to show me that that was part of what I was like. Now, I didn't do it so that people thought I was bossy out there and all this kind of stuff. I did it Sandy's way. You do it your way. But I had to face up to the fact that I, too, was a control freak. And I needed to look after and address that and allow Jesus to have the rightful control on my life. So here's the verse. You can say it now, can't you? Can't say it. The earth. The earth is the Lord's. Everything in it, all who live in it, nothing's excluded. Paul wrote the same in the New Testament. Everything was created by God for him, through him, belonging to him, visible, invisible. Everything was made by him, for him. So the question is, if this is true, who on earth or who in heaven controls my life? Because I actually believe this is a question about control. And here's the reality. Whether I am a believer, a non-believer, an atheist, or any other thing that I like to call myself, I belong to God. You got that one? The earth is the Lord's, everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Paul actually said at one stage, when he was praying in a prayer that's recorded in Ephesians, I bow my knee before the Father from whom all families on earth are named. Well, I, because he's creator, just because he's creator, I am, you are, we are, 100% him. I want you to imagine that this hoop this hoop, which is not going to go around my waist, is actually going to go on the floor. And when I stand in here, I represent everything that God has created. Okay? Everything. There's nothing out there that he's not created. God is out there because he's not created. But everything he's created, 100% belongs to him. That's pretty amazing, I reckon. So whether we like it or not. But you know there's more. 
there was one of his followers, John, who wrote many years later, after this psalm was celebrated and sung, he wrote these words. Jesus came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believe in him and accepted him, he gave the right or the authority or the privilege to call themselves children of God. And this is not born of human flesh or the decision of a man or anything like that. It's born of God, the next verse says. This is what makes me excited. This is really makes me excited. He's my father, God, because he created me. And because I've received him and believe in him, he's my father twice over. I'm a child of God. My father twice over. But this time, it's different. Because it's relational. He calls me child. He calls me, I can call him father. And I've received and I believe. So twice over, I'm 100% his. I don't know how you do that. Twice over, 100% his. 100% because he created me. 100% because... I received and believed in him, and he gave me the authority to say, my father, I'm your child. That's who I am. That's who I am, his child. To those who've received him, 100% his. So the earth is the Lord's, everything in it, the world and all in him, all he has made all the people in it. So the big question is, how on earth do I live 100% for him? It's one thing to know this, 100% because he's creator, 100% because he's my father, I've received him, but how do I live 100% his? And that's what I went away with from Steve's sermon that first night. How do I live that? And I've done a lot about that. I've done a lot of thinking. And uh, I realise that uh, it's pretty important because this is where the question for me came. The excuse or the reason I hear so often among Christian people is that I don't tithe, I don't do these things because I'm under grace and not under law. So I thought, what on earth does that mean? I wonder if the people who say it have actually put it in the context of the scriptures and even know where the verse is and what it means. And so I went on a search, a discovery, and this is what I discovered. The law does not refer to the 613 prescribed laws, designated laws, made up and administered legalistically, cold-bloodedly by the religious control freaks in the time of Jesus. You know, they went around looking at the externals. You're not wearing the right clothes. You cannot be right with God. Excuse me, your feet are showing. You cannot be right with God. You walked too far on the Sabbath. You cannot be right with God. You have eaten the wrong food today. You cannot be right with God. That is what... It looked like that is the religious world that Jesus entered. Because you do not do the right thing, 613 laws. I read them this week. Go on um, Google and read them. Uh, a bit boring, but never mind. They're there. And that's not what God was talking about 
It's not about doing and obeying these things and trying hard and not getting caught by the religious pre, um, police. You know, that still happens in some countries today. still happens. Romans 5 says this, Romans 5. Therefore, since we have been made right with God in God's sight by faith, not by working, not by obeying 613 laws, since we've been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into the place of undeserved privilege where we now stand and we can confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. What does that mean? It's all about faith. I've been declared right with God because of my faith in what Jesus has done. And he has brought me into a place 100% of undeserved privilege. That's called grace. Undeserved privilege. I stand. I'm placed. I live 100% in undeserved privilege. How about that? Isn't that beautiful? To those who have faith, that is the outcome of that. So we are in this place of grace, standing. What am I doing? 100% of his because he's my creator. You got that one? 100% because he's my saviour. I'm his child. 100% standing in his grace. Isn't that amazing? Well, we keep going on and we uh, look at this about under law and under grace and we come to this verse in Romans 8. If you really want to do it, in-depth, hard, serious study about this, read Romans 5, 6, 7 and 8 and read it every day for 10 days and you might start to understand it. Some big, heavy stuff there, but it's worth gold digging for. Therefore, Romans 8 says, and you probably know this verse, there's no condemnation. I'm not sentenced to death. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by flesh, you and me, sinners, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as a human to be a sin offering. And so he condemns sin in the flesh. Now listen to this. In order that the just requirements, the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us. Who do not live according to the flesh but according to the spirit. What on earth does that mean? What does it mean? The requirements of the law have been fully met so that when I come to the legal exam about keeping the law and I come into God's presence, he says, tick, 100%. 100% the legal requirements of the law are met in Jesus Christ, in us because of Jesus. So I fulfilled the law. Because 
Jesus did. Now, that's pretty heavy stuff, isn't it? That's pretty heavy. But you're smart enough to be following that argument and that privilege and that teaching that Paul says. Let's have a look at the Old Testament, what it says about the law. Because I just want to talk a little bit about the law for a minute. What does it say? The law of the Lord is? Perfect. Can you get better than perfect? It's perfect. One of the psalmists celebrated, it revives my soul. The law. The law preserves my soul, another said. Another says, in your law I find delight. I just love the law of God. It shows me about what God values. It shows me what's important to God. It says to me what the character of God is like. That brings me great delight. That's what the psalmists write about the law in the Old Testament. So how can we not be under law. Goodness. It says, uh, what about this? I walk about in freedom because I've sought out your precepts. Another word for law. That's just a few verses in the Old Testament. This is what the New Testament says about the law. The law is spiritual. The law is holy. The commandments of the Lord are holy, righteous, and good. That's what, says, what it says in the scriptures about the law, which we are ready to throw away and say we're not under the law. So let's see what Jesus said about the law. He actually said, and here it is in Matthew chapter 5, don't think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I've not come to abolish them. I've come to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called the least in the kingdom of God. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of God. So if the law is perfect, if the law is holy, if it's righteous, and Jesus is not going to throw it away, but he's going to fulfill it, what does it mean to be not under the law? I've already talked about the fact that Jesus fulfilled the law and he did it for us. Okay, so we've done it. But, you know, one of the beautiful things we discover is what was the role of the law? What was the law there for? Why is it in Scripture? It was to show you and me and everyone in this world that we're a bunch of pathetic sinners and we can't keep the law. <laughs> doesn't matter how much we try. We say, I will. I will do this. I will do that. I will not let unholy talk come out of my mouth. I will not lie. I will not cheat. I will be faithful in marriage. I will respect my elders. And we say, I will, I will, I will, and we can't. And we fail and fail. So what the law, the deficiency of the law shows us that it can never make us right with God. And that's not the purpose of the law. 
The law is not to make us right with God. The law is to show us that we need God. 100%. We need him. Because he made us, he wants us. He delights in us. So we are 100% his. But this is the good news. The requirements of the law, the keeping of the law, what the law demands, the demands of the Lord have been met in us because of Jesus. And Jesus looks at me, child of God, because I've received and believed. So I'm 100% his because he's my creator. I'm 100% of his because he is my father God and I am his child. I have received him. I stand 100% in the privileged place of grace. And listen to this. He says to me, Sandy Hart, you are declared 100% right with God. Righteous. Did you get that? 100% right with God. How come I still sin? How come I still have issues? Let's keep going. But you've got it? He says to those who've received him, to those who believe in his name, you have been declared 100% right with God. Righteous. The law couldn't make us righteous. The law showed us what was righteous. Couldn't make us righteous, but Jesus makes us righteous. Isn't that beautiful? That's great. Come on, I'm excited about that. <laughs> so not only are we 100% his, we're 100% righteous. That is grace. That is grace and great. So I want to talk about grace. You know, we have simple definitions of grace. Do you know what we usually say grace is? Anyone know the simple definition of mercy and grace? It, is, it sells us short because it's all about me still. It says mercy is not getting what you deserve, not getting what I deserve, not getting what you deserve, not getting, getting, getting. It's about me. Grace, getting what I don't deserve, still about me. And when we only think about grace like that, it's no wonder we don't know how to live in grace. It's no wonder we don't experience the grace of God coming down like a waterfall all over us. That's one of the expressions Paul uses about grace. So I am in this privileged place, this undeserved grace. Let me give you this definition of grace. I want to give you a wider, deeper, beautiful definition of grace. Grace is the power of God or the influence of the divine within my heart, within the heart of the human that enables me to live 100% as his. Isn't that beautiful? Grace is the divine influence, the divine power. So who is the divine power that we're given? Who is the divine Influence, the Spirit of God, the love of God, God himself, the life of Jesus, all is grace. All is given to me so that I can live 100%. Grace is a dynamic. You know what that means? It's not static. I stand in grace, here I am, I can do no other. 
Grace is living and vital. It's active. It's in my life. It's there so that when I'm tempted, I can say no. It's there so that when I want to cheat, it says no. It's there when I want to please God. I'm showing how to do it. Grace, the Spirit of God, the power of God, the love of God within. What I don't deserve, the privilege. Declared righteous and given everything I need to live the right with God life. 100% his. Wow. 100% God's. So what's the role of the law here? Because we said we're under grace. Now, under law presupposes that there's someone over me, isn't it? Under grace presupposes that there's someone over me. So if I'm under law, who is over me? Sin. The devil. Evil. No wonder I try to do good and I can't and I don't want to do bad and I do it. No wonder. That's my story when I'm under the law and don't realize that 100% of the law has been fulfilled in Jesus. When I'm under grace, under grace, I'm under the control. I'm under the power. I'm under the love of God. Not only that, he's within as well. The influence, the power, 100% his. So the role of the Spirit of God who's given in me is not that I'm any longer under the law, but you know it was prophesied 500, 800 years, 600 years, 800, 600, 500 years, three times before Jesus came that God would write his law on our hearts. So no longer do I have to have Tablets of stone, you shall, Lord, you shall, you don't do this, you don't do that. Love God, love your neighbor, look after your family, respect people, don't cheat. It's not out there anymore. The Spirit of God has written it on my heart. Because the Spirit of God wants me to value the things that God values. And to be a person of truth a person of righteousness, a person of honor and respect, a person who worships one God only and doesn't make any idols, a person who knows what it is to be under the control of God. So what's the big, big, big issue about not being able to give or not being able to be generous or kind? It's about control. We live the lie. Remember, I'm here. The truth is this. 100% God's because he created me. 100% God's because I received him, believed him. 100% standing in grace, the undeserved privilege place. 100% declared righteous with all of God's spirit available, the divine influence in my heart, the spirit of the law written on my heart. Everything given to me, what stops me? It's still control. Because there's still more that we need to listen to. So I'm going to go to another scripture from Romans 6. Talking, Paul is talking to believers here. He's not talking to 
people who don't know Jesus. He's talking to believers. He says, do not let sin control the way you live. Control. Okay? Do not give in to sinful desires. Don't have to. I've got God's spirit within helping me, grace and mercy, teaching me. Don't do it. Instead, give yourselves completely to God. Give yourselves completely to God. For you're dead, dead to sin, and you are alive to God. You've got a new life. Paul actually wrote this. He said, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I. But Christ Jesus lives in me. And the life I live by faith, I live because of Jesus Christ who loved me and gave himself for me. That's the new life. And so we go here. So it says, so use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the, the freedom of God's grace. We can't fulfill the, right, the requirements of the law. It's been done for us. The law is written on our heart, and we're under grace to live like that. This is, I think, yeah. well then, since God's grace has set us free from the law, do we keep on sinning? And become lawless? No. Actually, of course not. The old authorised version, the older version that was translated in uh, 1700 or something says this, God forbid. God forbid. And that is written there and I remember reading that as a child thinking, oh my goodness, God forbid this. It's actually, the Greek is meganoita, may it never happen. With, there. Um, so, of course not. Don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. So I am his, by right of creation, but I still can choose to live my own way under the control of sin, where I hold on to, where I hoard, where I... I'm a getter and not a giver. Where I don't let anyone near me unless they take from me. Or I can, as God's child, learn, learn. It's a learning experience to offer myself daily as an instrument for right living. You know, Jesus was on earth. We know that. There's one thing we don't ever talk about. We talk about his death. We talk about his resurrection. We talk about tonight fulfilling the just requirements of the law. But do you know what else he did? He went about doing good. He lived the holy life. And that's the life we are to live to. Go about doing good. So I just want to look at a little bit. Just three stories to finish. Is that okay? Just three little stories. I want to tell you very, very briefly what God did in my life from taking me from being a taker, from moving me from a taker to a giver. You see, I was uh, brought up in uh, Launceston a long time ago. I was born last century. Okay, so were some of you. Uh, I was there and uh, we lived in what the Australians would call a very poor family. 
My father was absent. I don't remember him living at home and going to work. He visited sometimes, and sometimes he sent some token finance to help. I do believe that he had another family where he was working as a miner. And so my mother worked hard for us. And I had, wait for it, five brothers. <laughs> yeah, five of them and me. And you know, sometimes we didn't really know whether there was going to be enough to eat. Sometimes we didn't have enough. And when, when, when the food was on our plate, it was like we ate like this. <laughs> you know, as fast as you can go so that no one would take it. I don't know if they really would, but that was, that was how we lived. And we were hoarders, we were takers. I came to know that I actually went to church and Sunday school and I always, always believed in God and was in awe of God and scared stiff of God. And uh, that was how I grew up as a child. And my mother used to give us just a few small coins, for instance, to put in Sunday school and church. And I religiously put mine in. I wouldn't dare not to. I was too scared of God. But I'm sure my brothers kept theirs and spent it because they seem to have more money than me. <laughs> uh, robbing God. Learned from an early age. But, you know, by the time I was 18, I had given my life 100% to God. At that stage, as far as I knew, it was 100%. I didn't know what it was to be as a 24-year-old, 100%, or a 30-year-old, 100%. I didn't know that. But as an 18-year-old, it was 100%. Yes, Lord. And I felt that God called me to the mission field. So I finished my training as a teacher. I taught for a few years. I went to Sydney to Bible College, and I joined a mission society. And I remember enthusiastic, enjoying life, wonderful, not really caring about too much. I don't even know that I thought too much about life. But I was still a taker. You know, that kind of person that if there was a a um, tea around or something, you make sure you get in first and eat and all this. Surreptitiously, so people noticed, didn't notice, but you made sure that you got your fair share. And uh, I was a taker, a taker in many ways. Take, take, take. And uh, I remember two years into serving the Lord as a youth worker, as a mission, and uh, I didn't have money to pay a bill wasn't a lot of money, but I think a letter came that said the debt collector would come, and I was freaked out. I think it was about $10 or something. It wasn't a lot, but in those days, it was an awful lot if you had nothing. Anything's a lot if you have nothing. And I had nothing. I prayed, and I worked it out, and I schemed, and I didn't have anything hoarded away. And so I decided... Because God had not provided enough or money to pay a bill, that I was wrong about God's calling on my life. And I decided I'd go back teaching and I'd earn enough money so that others could go to the mission field. That's what I said, but I'm not sure I would have done it. Okay? So finally I got the courage to go to my leader, team leader, and I said I need to leave. And uh, he asked me why, and, you know, I tried to make it very spiritual, but I told him that really it was because I didn't have any money to pay the bills, and if God didn't provide finance, surely I shouldn't be here. 
He did pay the bill, by the way. But this is what he said to me, and this is what I've lived by ever since. He said, Sandy, just remember, having money, having finance is not a sign of the will of God, the direction of God, nor is it a sign of the pleasure of God or the blessing of God. I believe that. I've sat with gypsies in Spain, poor as church mice, as we say, and they've given me food. I've been with the refugees way up in the mountains of, of um, Nepal, and they've shared. They don't have much, but I tell you what, they love Jesus, and sometimes they're much happier than us. So it's not about money, and I learned that. I don't like talking about money, but that's what I did learn that day. And slowly the work of God was in my spirit and changed me so that the grace of God, the generosity of God, and I fell more and more and more in love with this God who created me, who made me his child, who declared me 100% righteous, who gave me grace and love and mercy. I fell more and more in love and I felt more and more forgiven. And so it didn't matter anymore about what I had and what I didn't have. And you know, I've lived <laughs> without an income for most of my life. Sometimes there's been nothing, sometimes there's been a lot, but there's always been something to give. So yes, I do tithe to my local church because I believe in what the local church has been called to do, to go into all the world and make disciples in our locality first, okay? But what we're also to do is to baptise them into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the third one we kind of forget, but it's my job, Steve's job, the role of us here to teach so that the teachings of Jesus so that you can obey. That's part of my job, teaching them to observe all things so that they may know, observe, obey the teachings of Christ, obedience. Without obedience, doesn't really mean much. Another story. My friend Ryan, you know Ryan, he was out here one Sunday morning and I saw him standing like this. You know how Ryan stands? He's leaning against the wall. It was a freezing cold morning. It, I think he was in shorts. Anyhow, it was freezing cold. I was freezing cold. And he had a grin all over his face. And I said, what are you happy about, Ryan? And he said... I've just paid for four people to have a coffee and I'm watching them get the surprise of their life when they're told they don't have to pay. Generosity, eh? And he said, not only that, I realised that guys up in the um, parking were out there in the freezing cold, so I took them a coffee too. Generosity beyond the call of duty, eh? But here's my final story. It's a story a friend of mine tells. She was a missionary in Africa. And uh, she said that the church there, they taught about tithing. They knew they'd give. They were poor. They were poor as poor as poor. And they had a week when they brought their offerings. They brought their... And their offerings were cloth and basins and utensils and money and ah, it was food and grain. It was everything. And so it was all spread out. And there was this great big enamel bowl that someone had brought because they do food and all this kind of stuff and it was given out, and this little boy had nothing to give, not a thing, 
hardly any clothes on. I was told that he was naked. And he walked up and he sat himself in that basin and he said, I've got nothing but myself to give to Jesus. I don't care how much you've got. Church doesn't want your money. God doesn't want your money. God desires a relationship with you, all of you, 100%, because he's made you. He's loved you. He loves you. He gives himself for you. He generously, graciously, wonderfully forgives and loves and pours it all out. And believe me, you might think you love Jesus now, but as you get older and grow more and more in love with Jesus, you think, wow, I thought I loved Jesus then. But wow, it gets better and better and better. True, Steve? True, Dorothy? Yes, it gets better. To be loved by the creator of this world, to be welcomed and accepted by him is the greatest thing. What are we going to do now? You'll find a little card. I want you to take it. Because the scriptures say present yourself 100% as an instrument of obedience to him. What stops us is control. Here's the question. What controls you? What are you frightened of? What is the fear that stops you giving God everything? What is the anxiety that comes when you think that I may need to give myself 100% to God? So here's the prayer I want you to write. Lord, for too long I've tried to control my work situation, study, environment, temper, disposition, children, wife, friendships, whatever it is, I've tried to control. Money, future, well-being, protect myself. I've not lived in your grace. I write that down. I now give this to you and I want to learn to stand in the grace where you have placed me in that undeserved, privileged place where you'll know life and life abundant. But you may never have any money, <laughs> but you'll have the best that there is to offer in life, God himself. Take time to do that. You might like to just fold it, but you're going to actually offer, not necessarily put it in a bowl. I mean, if you'd like to, if you'd like to make it very public, you can write it and you can, we're going to go down to the back in a minute. There's stations down there. You're going to give your offering, but you're going to celebrate God's love for you by taking of communion. It's celebratory tonight. I know he died for us, and I know that's sober, and I know that's, you know, that deep and meaningful thing, but it's great. <laughs> it's life. It's 100% love. And I want you to celebrate what Jesus Christ has done for you. He fulfilled the just requirements of the Lord. He says, live in the grace which I've got. Live the joyful life. Live the life that's fullness. Take of my body which was broken for you so that you might live a whole life. Take my blood that was shed. Not so that you die. Yeah, die to sin, but so that you'll live and live forever.
the abundant life. Put your money in the offering. Put your card, if you like, in your offering. So just do it there. Write it there. We're just going to walk slowly to the back, contemplative, meditative, and yet celebrating. If you want to dance, dance. If you want to be quiet, be quiet. Whatever it takes, 100% is. You with me? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for all that you've done. Thank you that you're alive and well and you want to live in us totally. We give ourselves to you in Jesus' name. All the people said? Amen. Amen. Thank you.